Miss Pickerel Goes to the Arctic. Chapter 12. Miss Pickerel Makes Contact. Rescue Plane to Weather Expedition. Rescue Plane to Weather Expedition, the voice was saying, over. Miss Pickerel dashed to the radio set and pressed the key beside the mouthpiece as she sat down. Hello, she said. Hello, over. And she released the key. Nothing happened. She didn't even hear the other voice this time. Oh, surely he couldn't have gone too far away to hear her. He couldn't have turned off his set so soon. She tried again. Perhaps she should identify herself in some way. She pressed the key. Hello, she said. Snowmobile expedition to rescue plane. Snowmobile expedition to rescue plane. Come in, please. Over. This time there was an immediate response. Rescue plane to... Repeat that, please. Over. Miss Pickerel again spoke into the mouthpiece. Snowmobile expedition to rescue plane. Over. Where are you, snowmobile expedition? Are you in trouble? Over. Miss Pickerel explained what had happened, how they had come to the Arctic in the first place because they hoped to be able to help locate and perhaps rescue the missing weather expedition how they themselves had to make a crash landing, and how Foster had figured out their latitude and longitude. She read the figures to the unseen man in the air from the slip of paper Foster had left at the radio set. Hmm, the man said. He seemed to be checking something. You aren't very far from where I am right now. Miss Pickerel explained to the man how Foster and Mr. Busby had gone to get some fuel for the snowmobile so that they could rescue the wounded pilot. Too bad, the man said. I have a drum of gasoline I can drop to you. Maybe they'll turn around when they hear my plane. What is the condition of the snow where you are? Miss Pickerel thought this was a funny thing to ask, if he was just going to drop something by parachute. But she said, hold the line, and left the cozy warmth of the snowmobile and looked out through the door of the airplane. Then she hurried back to the snowmobile, leaned toward the mouthpiece, and spoke to the man. There's a big drift of snow on the left-hand side of the plane, over. I've used up all my parachutes for the other wrecked plane, the voice said, but the gasoline drum was sealed up only 90% full, so it would be safe to drop it in a snowdrift without a parachute. I'll have to come in about 50 feet. At that moment, Miss Pickerel heard in her free ear a faint hum in the air above her. It grew louder. We see you, snowmobile expedition, the voice said. The man didn't say over, so Miss Pickerel didn't flick the key. She kept listening tensely. The roaring grew louder and, louder and lower and closer. Coming in, snowmobile expedition, said the voice. Then the loud roaring seemed to swoosh right across the top of the plane, and the voice said, Drums away! Then the voice said, I see the other members of your expedition. They're turning back. I'll tell the other expedition that you're coming in your snowmobile to rescue the injured man. I'll contact you again in about 30 minutes to tell you where to bring him so that I can land and pick him up. Over. It probably wasn't very long, but it seemed like a long time before Mr. Busby and Foster returned and found Miss Pickerel in her boots and parka waiting in a snowdrift. Miss Pickerel, Mr. Busby shouted angrily as soon as he was near enough. Why aren't you inside at the radio set? Why aren't you trying to contact the plane instead of letting it get away from us? 
they might have been able to spare us some gasoline. How could you do such a thing? Miss Pickerel was not unperturbed. Somewhere in the middle of this snowdrift, she said, there's a drum of gasoline for our snowmobile. And she went on to explain all that had happened. I guess our troubles are over now, she said. But Miss Pickerel was mistaken about that. The Model X-24 to the Rescue Foster had lost no time after Miss Pickerel's explanation in looking for the drum. Here it is, he called from the middle of the snowdrift. Here's the drum of gasoline. After they had poured the gasoline into the snowmobile's tank, Foster and Mr. Busby pried open the cargo hatch of the airplane and lowered the top of it to the ground. The bottom was hinged and supported in such a way that it provided a sloping ramp for the snowmobile. Fortunately, that part of the plane had not been damaged. Getting the snowmobile out presented a slight problem, however, because instead of front wheels, there were two skis. Miss Pickerel made a suggestion. Why don't we scoop up a lot of snow and pack it under the skis, she said, and down across the ramp. Then the snowmobile can drive right out onto the ground. We can use the empty fuel drum to scoop the snow. This proved to be all that was necessary. With Foster and Miss Pickerel standing at one side watching tensely, Mr. Busby climbed into the cab of the snowmobile, started the engine, and slowly drove the vehicle out through the cargo hatch and down the snow-packed ramp. Miss Pickerel held her breath and bit the corner of her lip. She was so nervous. If anything happened to the snowmobile, and it wouldn't work, when the rescue when the rescue of the poor injured man depended on it. But she needn't have worried. The caterpillar tread on each side around the two rear wheels made it possible for the snowmobile to negotiate easily the slight bump on the end of the ramp. Foster and Miss Pickerel got in beside Mr. Busby, with Miss Pickerel in the middle, and they started out. The snowmobile crunched powerfully and steadily across the drifts of snow and areas of wide, of wind-swept ice. And first they were all so tense and worried about the injured man that no one said anything. But then Foster began talking, as if to keep them from worrying too much. He began to tell them some of his bush pilot experiences. He told them about once when his plane had been wrecked because of a whiteout. What's that? Miss Pickerel wanted to know. Whiteout, Foster said, is when the light conditions are such that the white sky and the white ground look just exactly the same. There are no shadows and no horizon. It's frightful experience. There's no way to tell where you are. There might be a deep crevice right in front of you, and you wouldn't be able to tell it was there. It's bad enough when you are on the ground during a whiteout. But it's even more dangerous than a plane because you can't judge your position in relation to the ground. After a while, Miss Pickerel said, How do we know we are going in the right direction? I notice the sun is right above again. How do we know we are going north? It's twelve o'clock noon, Foster said. If we go straight towards the sun, we're bound to be going south. How do we know it isn't twelve o'clock midnight? Miss Pickerel asked. It's noon, all right, Foster said easily. 
Although the sun looks low in the sky, it's really higher above the horizon than it is at midnight when it's around to the north. Miss Pickerel noticed something. Way over there on the right, there's a funny dark smudge on the horizon, she said. Foster looked where she was pointing. What is it, Foster? Mr. Busby asked. It looks like a cloud, Miss Pickerel said. A low cloud of vapor. It's vapor, all right, said Foster, but it isn't a cloud. In the Arctic, you only see vapor low in the sky like that when there's a break in the surface of the ice. The air over open water has moisture in it. But when the colder air from over the ice comes in contact with the moist air, it cools it. The colder it gets, the less moisture it can hold, and the moisture condenses out into form of vapor or fog. But there's water under the ice, Miss Pickerel said, and suddenly she was frightened. Does that mean, she asked in a low voice, that this glacier, or whatever it is we're on, is right over the Arctic Ocean? What we're on is called an ice shelf, Foster said, and the other plane that was wrecked is what is is on what is known as an ice cap. We went on to explain that the ice cap was an enormous ancient sort of glacier formed of hard-packed snow that had fallen for tens of thousands of years over a large area on the edge of the Arctic Ocean. He told her that the ice cap was so large and so heavy that part of it had spread right out over the ocean, although it was still connected to the ice cap. That part of the ice shelf and that was where they were then. Foster looked at his watch. It's about time for the rescue plane to contact us, he said. Mr. Busby stopped the snowmobile. Foster said, I'll drive while you are inside at the radio, Mr. Busby. I've driven the snowmobile in the Arctic before. Oh, good idea, said Mr. Busby, as he slid back into the snowmobile. So we won't waste any time. I'll call when I've got through talking to the rescue plane and know what the arrangements are to be. Miss Pickerel was still interested in what Foster had been telling her. Is that where icebergs come from? From ice caps and ice shelves? Icebergs come from what are called living glaciers, Foster said. They keep cracking off all the time. Each year, more snow piles up on the glaciers and packs down and freezes. That weight keeps pressing on the glacier and forces it down to the sea. An ice cap is much older than a glacier and much more enormous. An ice cap is left over from a time when the ice covered a large part of the world. The ice shelf of an ice cap doesn't very often break off, but when it does, it's called an ice island and drifts slowly around the Arctic Ocean, going from east to west. It might take it several years to get back to where it started. I should think it would be melted by that time, Miss Pickerel said. Too big, said Foster. It might be several miles across. Besides that, it would be composed of a very dense kind of ice. Mr. Busby knocked on the window behind them. As Foster stopped the snowmobile, Miss Pickerel noticed that they must be almost off the ice shelf. Ahead of them, the white vastness of the ice cap rose more steeply, and even from here, its surface looked rough and jagged. Here's what we're supposed to do, Mr. Busby said when he joined them. The rescue plane has landed as close to the wreck as it safely can. 
It didn't want to keep on flying around and using up fuel unnecessarily. We're to rescue the injured man. He'll be evacuated immediately. Then we'll come back for the others. Two more rescue planes are now on their way. They will pick up the other survivors after we get them out. And us too, of course. Why, what are you doing, Miss Pickerel? Getting some of my things out of the snowmobile. If I stay here, you'll have more room for the survivors, won't you? That's right, Foster agreed. We hate to leave you, Miss Pickerel, but... Just hand my sleeping bag to me, will you, Foster? So I have something dry to sit on and my umbrella to shade me from the sun. At the last minute, she decided to take Rosemary's camera, too. She would take some pictures while she was waiting. They would make a nice souvenir for Dwight and Rosemary. Goodbye, Miss Pickerel, Foster said, climbing back into the cab of the snowmobile. We'll come for you as soon as we can, said Mr. Busby. The first thing Miss Pickerel did was to spread out her sleeping bag and sit down on it while she took several pictures of the snowmobile and the forbidding ice cap beyond it. She was glad to see that the snowmobile did not falter. Occasionally, it made a zigzag in its course, as though Mr. Busby were trying to find a narrow part of the crevice to cross. Miss Pickerel had opened her umbrella and left it laying beside her, upside down in the snow, while she took pictures. When she went to get it, she found that the snow, where the umbrella touched it, had begun to melt. It was some little time before she figured out why this was, but eventually she reasoned it out. Wherever the sun shone directly on the snow, there was so much brightness that the sun's rays were reflected back into the sky again. The umbrella was so dark that it didn't reflect the sun's rays, it absorbed them which made the cloth warmer. The heat of the cloth then melted the snow underneath. Miss Pickerel squinted up her eyes from time to time to watch the progress of the snowmobile. Her eyes were beginning to hurt from the glare, for she had not asked Mr. Busby to return her dark glasses. He would need them more than she did. She lay down on the sleeping bag, turned over on her stomach, and went to sleep. In spite of the snow and the ice all around her, the sun shining on her back kept her feeling warm and cozy. When she wakened and sat up, the snowmobile was out of sight. She could neither see nor hear it. She was utterly alone in the vastness and silence. She felt strangely exultant. She could understand now why people like Foster loved the Arctic, the cleanness, the beauty, and the stillness. Most of all, the, snil the stillness. Miss Pickerel had never imagined there could be such silence. And into this silence, without warning, came a noise that tore her ears, froze her blood, and made her heart stand still. The surface under her moved like a sickening feeling, like an earthquake, and with a roaring crack, pop wrench an ice shelf broke off a mile wide wave of blue water rose slowly through the crack and dashed itself to the whiteness in the air miss pickerel was adrift on an arctic ice island chapter 14 adrift in the arctic ocean as fast as she could miss pickerel hurried to the edge of the ice island and looked across the gradually widening water that separated her from the vast ice cap ahead 
As far as she could see, in each direction, the shoreline opposite her, where the massive ice island had broken off, was a smooth cliff of crystal blue. There were strange dark horizontal streaks in the face of the cliff. Looking down, Miss Pickerel saw that the top of the ice island was only about ten feet above the surface of the water. It frightened her for a moment because it made the ice island seem so thin and weak. But then she remembered that when ice is floating, there is about eight times as much of it under the water as there is showing. The ice under her feet must be at least ninety feet deep, and Foster had said the ice in an ice island was dense and strong. After her first shock, Miss Pickerel realized that she was in no great danger. When Foster and Mr. Busby came back for her, they would see what had happened, and if she had drifted out of sight, they would send one of the rescue planes to pick her up. But the prospect was frightening. Miss Pickerel did not like the idea of being all alone, perhaps for hours, on a platform of ice slowly moving through the Arctic Ocean. Besides that, it would certainly delay the rescue operation for the men of the other plane, the man who had been down so much longer and who had suffered so much more than she had. She must try to rescue herself if possible. She walked along the edge for a few moments, and then she saw something hopeful. The space of water was slowly filling with huge, irregular chunks of ice. The wind was blowing them together. She knew these chunks of ice must be pack ice. They looked rough and coarse, and they seemed almost porous compared with the clear, dense ice on which she was standing. One of the pieces of pack ice made a cold, tinkling sound as the wind kicked it against the base of the ice island at her feet. Perhaps enough of the pack ice would be blown together to form a bridge on which she could cross. While she was waiting for this to happen, she went back and got her sleeping bag, her camera, and her umbrella. She took several pictures of the ice and water below her and of the cliff beyond. Miss Pickerel drew the hood of her parka tighter about her head. Wind had changed directions, and she saw now that all the drifting pieces of ice were being driven towards the shore, all except the one at the foot of the island. It still knocked and tinkled against the base, apparently shielded from the wind by the height of the island. She would not be able to cross on the pack ice after all. She must think of something else. And now her eyes were beginning to pain her from the brightness. She must protect them in some way. Perhaps she should rip the black cloth from her umbrella and make a sort of blindfold with tiny holes punched in them to look through. That might ease the pain. She stooped over to pick up the umbrella, and as she did so, she looked down. The stranded pieces of ice was still there directly below. And like a flash, Miss Pickerel saw what she must do. She looked back and forth until she found a place where the broken cliff beneath her was jagged enough to provide a few rough footholds. Clutching her umbrella and fastening the camera around her neck by a strap, Miss Pickerel began to descend. She was fervently glad now that she had not ripped off the cloth, for the 
the bold plan which had now formed in Miss Pickerel's mind, her umbrella would be indispensable. Chapter 15. A Daring Attempt Making a quick mental calculation based on how much of the piece of packed ice was showing above the water, Miss Pickerel estimated what it must be well over two feet thick. Surely it was strong enough for what she had in mind. She stepped down on it. She was right. It supported her weight. She crouched down to avoid tipping over. She wished now that she had thrown down her sleeping bag before she had climbed down the rough edge of the ice island so that she would have it to protect her from the cold and the ice beneath her. But to go back again was impossible. And anyway, her parka was so long and loose that she could spread part way under her when she knelt down. Crouching on her knees, Miss Pickerel reached out and touched the base of the ice island with her closed umbrella. Shoving with all her strength, she pressed sharply on the curved handle. Just as she had hoped it would, the piece of ice shot out into the open water far enough so that the island no longer protected it from the wind. She was now in the path of the wind, and it began to blow her piece of ice slowly towards the shore. Miss Pickerel now put the rest of her plan into operation. She must take full advantage of the wind. It might die down or change direction at any moment and leave her stranded. Turning around on her knees, Miss Pickerel opened her umbrella and held it before her so that it caught the full force of the wind. Immediately, she felt the increase of speed of the piece of ice. Every so often, Miss Pickerel peeked around the edge of the umbrella to see how much farther she had to go. She did this carefully, holding onto the umbrella handle with both hands. She couldn't take the chance of having the umbrella blown out of her grasp. She was very glad the handle had a curve in it. It made it easier to hang on to. Now she was more than halfway across the open land. The water became a little rougher, and the wind pulled a little more strongly. And then suddenly the wind lessened. The ice began to go more slowly. The wind was dying down. If only there were some way she could make herself go faster. Miss Pickerel looked again toward shore. The wind was still weak. She wished there were some way she could take full advantage of what little wind there was. The black cloth was so very thin that some of the wind was blowing right through it. If only it were thicker. If only it, if only it could offer full resistance to the wind. Miss Pickerel had an idea. Holding very tightly to the handle, she dipped the umbrella over the side of the ice and rotated it into the water until all of the fabric was soaking wet. Then she lifted it out and placed it in front of her again. It behaved just the way she had hoped it would. The wet fabric now made a solid barrier against the wind. The piece of ice moved faster. The shore came closer, and Miss Pickerel began to look through the rough, jagged places in the cliff that matched the place where she had climbed down from the ice island. It was slightly to one side of direction in which she was being blown, but she found that by shifting the angle of the umbrella, she could alter her course slightly. Suddenly, there was a tinkling bump. 
She had reached the shore. Miss Pickerel had maneuvered the piece of ice so well that she was exactly below the rough place in the cliff of ice. She lowered her umbrella, but now that it was so stiff and wet, it would not close all the way. At first, it looked impossible to climb the cliff even here, but Miss Pickerel saw one jagged irregular place larger than the others right above her head. Reaching up, she hooked the umbrella handle behind this place. This gave her something to put against, and she was able to climb that far. From then on, it was easy. Panting from the exertion, weak from the danger through which she had passed, and shaking from the cold, Miss Pickerel started immediately in the direction that the snowmobile had taken. It had left two wide, heavily packed tracks, that were very easy to walk in. Miss Pickerel hurried forward, and then she stopped just in time. There was a deep crevice at her feet. The snowmobile had been able to cross it, but it was too wide for Miss Pickerel to try to jump. She could not go straight ahead. She would have to go round. She turned aside. She took two floundering steps in the loose snow, and then she faltered. Something was wrong. The crevices had deep the crevice had disappeared the tracks of the snowmobile had disappeared there was no shadows there was no horizon there was no earth and no sky there was nothing she was lost with her eyes wide open she was lost miss pickerel was experiencing the dreaded whiteout that foster had told her about and somewhere near perhaps only inches away was the deep yawning emptiness of the crevice she knew she would have to stay there until the whiteout ended. Until then, she knew it would not be safe to take a single step. She poked the partly closed umbrella into the snow, hoping that it, its point would strike the ice and give her something to lean against. But the wind caught the umbrella in such a way that it blew it open again, hanging onto it in the wind made it very difficult for Miss Pickerel to keep her balance. She dared not hold it. It might blow her into the crevice, and she let it go. Then a moment later, the whiteout was over. Miss Pickerel blinked her eyes. She could see again. She saw the crevice with its sheer blue depths, only six inches away from her right foot. And instinctively, she drew back. She saw the snow, she saw the sky, and she saw something else. On the other side of the crevice, she saw a man on a snow on snowshoes. He was wearing a flyer's leather jacket, and he was waving and shouting something to her as he hurried forward. He pointed to the left, and Miss Pickerel stumbled weakly in the direction indicated. They met at the end of the crevice. Chapter 16. Safe at Last now that the suspense was all over, Miss Pickerel suddenly found that she couldn't stand up any more. She felt very silly about it, but she had to accept the man's help when he offered to hold her up. When he spoke, Miss Pickerel recognized his voice. You're the pilot, she said, the pilot of the rescue plane that I was talking to. Co-pilot, said the man, co-pilot and drop master. I'm responsible for dropping the supplies. The pilot stayed with the plane when we landed in order to maintain radio contact with the wrecked plane and with the snowmobile. But I thought I'd do a little exploring. If we ever had to rescue anybody around here again, it would be helpful to know the country. 
Do you feel better now? Are you able to walk? I guess so, Miss Pickerel said. It won't take us very long to reach the rescue plane, the man said. It's not very far away, but we can see it because there's a big hump of ice in the way. He insisted on taking off his snowshoes and giving them to Miss Pickerel, and while he was fastening them to her feet, she told him everything that had happened since Mr. Busby and Foster had gone ahead to rescue the injured man. I was afraid that if I stayed on the ice island, I'd have to be rescued too, and it might delay things for the other survivors. You are quite right, the co-pilot said. I heard that tremendous crash, and I guessed what had happened. I wish I could have seen it happen. It's a very rare occurrence, you know, for an ice island to break off. I wish I could have got some pictures of it. Now then, I guess we're ready. Just follow the tracks I made. It took Miss Pickerel a while to get used to the snowshoes. They were so wide and long, but they did give her feet a nice support. They kept her walking on the surface of the snow instead of sinking in with each step. The man had sounded so wistful when he spoke about wishing he could have got some pictures that Miss Pickerel told him about the pictures she had taken with Rosemary's camera. If they turn out well, she said, I'll send you some. Oh, look! there's your plane. They had just come around the base of an enormous sloping hump of ice. In the middle of a wide flat area was the plane. Miss Pickerel noticed it was equipped with skis for landing on snow. Yes, said the co-pilot, close behind her, and there's the snowmobile too, just coming into sight, over there to the left. The snowmobile reached the plane before they did, however, and Miss Pickerel and the co-pilot arrived just as the four men were lifting the injured man on an improvised stretcher into the rescue plane. Two of them were Foster and Mr. Busby. They were quite surprised when they saw Miss Pickerel, but nobody had time for any explanations. It was quickly decided that Foster and Miss Pickerel should fly out with the injured man and the other two men who had come in the snowmobile. The more people who went, the fewer trips the other rescue plane would have to make. In the meantime, Mr. Busby would go back with the snowmobile and evacuate the other survivors. As soon as the plane had taken off, everyone set about making the injured man more comfortable. Miss Pickerel helped as much as she could. Soon he felt much better that he was able to talk. He and the other two members of the expedition began to discuss the purpose of their trip to the Arctic. Miss Pickerel remembered the newspaper article she had started to read to Rosemary that night in the kitchen. The article had said that this expedition was going to make a different kind of weather observation from the kind that it was usually made. She asked the man about it. Yes, one of them said. We were going to establish ourselves on a glacier and bore holes into it as deep as we could so that... There would be a long, round core. Then we would pull out this core and study it. Whatever for, Miss Pickerel asked. What would that have to do with the weather? It might have a lot to do with it, the injured man said. It seemed to be better for him to talk. He didn't seem to think much about his injuries when he did. If we knew enough about what weather had been like in the past, 
we might be able to detect some kind of a pattern that repeats itself over and over. That might be a certain number of years with severe winters and then a certain number of years with mild winters. If that happened enough, we might expect the same thing to happen in the future. I still don't see, Miss Pickerel said, how you could tell that by boring a hole in a glacier. One of the men explained. On a glacier, he said, the snow that falls doesn't melt away completely. Each year's snow just piles up on the snow that fell the winter before and packs it in down into the ice. But between each winter, in the summer, when it isn't snowing, any debris or dust in the atmosphere would settle on the surface. It would form a sort of marker between each layer of ice. Oh, said Miss Pickerel, beginning to understand. The core that you would pull out of the hole in the ice would have these marks. Yes, the man said. And if there was a lot of ice between two marks, it, we would know that it had been a severe winter. If there was very little ice, that would indicate that the weather for that particular year had been very mild. Miss Pickerel was fascinated. It's a little like studying what the climate has been like by looking in at the rings of a tree that has been sawed down, isn't it? Very much like it, the man said. But our equipment was hopelessly damaged when the plane came down. All this time, Foster had been up with the pilot and the co-pilot, and he stayed there while the co-pilot came back to say something to Miss Pickerel. I've been thinking about those pictures you took, he said. I'm something of an amateur photographer, and I could develop them for you as soon as we get to the air base, if you'd let me. I'm very curious to see what they're like. So when the plane finally landed at the air base, and the official report had been made, the co-pilot took Rosemary's camera from Miss Pickerel and disappeared. The injured man had been taken to the air base hospital. Foster was renewing acquaintances with some of his Arctic friends, and Miss Pickerel was waiting in the communications center to ask somebody if it would be possible to talk to Dwight and Rosemary on their shortwave radio set. The two men from the weather expedition were already sending in a radio report to the scientific organization that had sponsored them. It wasn't a very cheerful report they were making. The co-pilot came to the door with several large, glossy pictures in his hand. He let in a blast of cold air, and someone shouted, Shut that door! You got some wonderful pictures, Miss Pickerel, the co-pilot said. Gives you a feeling of being right there. I made an extra one for myself. Hope you don't mind. Of course not, Miss Pickerel said. I see you enlarged them. Say, let me see those, one of the weather expedition men said. He got up and took them from the co-pilot's hand, just as he was handing them to Miss Pickerel. He looked at them intensely for a moment and then rushed across to his companions, who was just finishing his gloomy report about their failure. "'Hey, don't stop talking,' the man said. "'Tell them we've made a mistake. Tell them we've been successful after all. Tell them we've got a perfect picture of the layers of ice.' Not in the glacier, but in an ice cap. Miss Pickerel looked over his shoulder. It was true. All the way along the cracked-off surface of the ice cap ran horizontal dark-colored bands. The fact that the picture had been enlarged made them especially clear. 
We never would have had this valuable information, the man said to Miss Pickerel, if you hadn't taken these pictures. I never would have been able to take the pictures, said Miss Pickerel, if my niece, Rosemary, hadn't included her camera when she was packing for me. They all hurried outside just then, because the first of the other rescue planes had arrived, all but Miss Pickerel and the communications officer, who slammed his hand down angrily on the desk that held his communications equipment. This has got to stop, he said. All afternoon, somebody has been trying to get me to take a message. I suppose somebody thinks they're being very funny trying to give me a message about somebody's cow. No, he shouted into his mouthpiece. No, I won't take that message. Oh, please, Miss Pickerel said, rushing towards him. It's for me. It's from my niece and nephew. Can I talk to them? Then he found out what it was all about, and the communications officer was quite helpful. Their set isn't powerful enough to contact us directly, but there's another amateur operator in between who is relaying their message. I'll let you talk to him. Chapter 17. Farewell to the Arctic. Miss Pickerel was really sorry when the time came for her to leave the air base and return home. She and Mr. Busby both had passage on a trans transpolar airliner that stopped there to refuel. In her short time there, she had learned to love the Arctic. But it would be good to get home to see her cow and to see Dwight and Rosemary again. It was quite a pleasant surprise to find that Dwight and Rosemary were so interested in her experiences in the far north that they didn't turn on their shortwave radio set for a whole week. Not once did they tell her to shush. They didn't even interrupt her except to ask her questions. The study of the layers of ice in the ice cap showed a very definite pattern of severe winters and mild winters for many years back. On the basis of this information, it looked very much as if the coming winter would be a very severe one indeed. The scientific organization that had sponsored the expedition announced that Miss Pickerel would be awarded a special citation because her, her photograph had been so important in making this prediction. But when Miss Pickerel insisted that Rosemary should have the credit, the organization announced there would be a double citation. As soon as summer ended, on the very day that Dwight and Rosemary returned to their own home, Miss Pickerel put her cow into the new winter trailer that Mr. Busby's factory had built especially for her cow and traveled to the southern part of the country. After the rescue exploit, Word of the mobile X-24 had circulated around through the Arctic, and Miss Pickerel had been urged to sell it there rather than to bring it home. Model X-24 had proved itself in the Arctic. When Dwight and Rosemary helping her to study, Miss Pickerel had already been able to pass several examinations for licensed amateur radio operator. Each more difficult than the last, she made many interesting unseen friends that winter by talking to them over the winter's trailer's shortwave radio set. Winter ended, Miss Pickerel and her cow returned home, Dwight and Rosemary came again to spend the summer, and it was now time to go to receive the citation from the scientific organization. When Rosemary's citation was presented, she made a very graceful short speech of thanks, and both Miss Pickerel and Dwight were very proud of her. 
they all made the trip to the ceremony on the same train that Mr. Estecott was the conductor on. Mr. Estecott was now reading the dictionary through, and he got as far as T. If you'd ever like to look up a word, Miss Pickerel, he said, don't hesitate to let me know, and when I've got all the way through it, which will be sometime this summer, I'm going to give you this dictionary, because you were so nice to me, Miss Pickerel, about letting me read your encyclopedia. Well, thank you, said Miss Pickerel, but I won't be here in the summer. You won't? I got a shortwave radio message from Foster Estecott yesterday, Miss Pickerel said, and she smiled because the message had made her so happy. Foster invited her to come to the Arctic this summer, and I'm going. I'm going back again to that beautiful Arctic region. The end. My, she is a funny lady, isn't she? And we learned so much about the Arctic. I think I might have to read some more of Ellen McGregor's books. The next book we're going to read is called The World's First Love by Fulton J. Sheen, and it's about the mother of God. And I read this when I was younger, and it really helped me understand what type of a person she was and how her example can help us even now to live our lives. So that's going to be the next book. Join me for that. Music